Welcome to the podcast today. My name's Todd Fraser. Dr. Daryl Jones is a physician and intensivist based at the intensive care unit at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. He was the inaugural Senior Research Fellow for the Australian New Zealand Intensive Care Society Research Centre and has extensively published on the medical emergency team and has presented internationally on the subject. He also has research interests in the assessment of the circulation using PICO and systolic pressure variation and has interests in adrenal dysfunction and the critically ill. And it's my great pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks very much, Todd. Look, I've asked you to be on the podcast today to, to discuss your interest in the MET system, and I was just wondering whether we could perhaps delve into the background of it. Where did the, the concept of the MET system come from? So MET stands for Medical Emergency Team, and it's basically a specialised team that review patients who are deteriorating, typically on the ward, but um, depending on the model and the hospital in which the system runs, it's... Um, occasionally operates in critical care areas as well, particularly the emergency department. The, the background is, it, is really the fact that the, increasingly as patients in hospital get more and more complex, uh, they experience um, deterioration and suffer adverse events in, in, in their hospital stay, and that's despite you know, the best efforts and, and training of, of the medical staff and the nursing staff that are looking after them. And when people looked at retrospectively and sometimes prospectively at the, the period leading up to the cardiac arrests and unplanned ICU admissions and sometimes other adverse events, they noted that the patient had been developing warning signs and these typically manifested in derangements of patient vital signs. Um, and the concept is basically that if you intervene earlier during the course of deterioration, you can potentially improve the outcome of patients. It bypasses the traditional approach where junior nursing staff would have to ring or talk to a more senior nurse before escalating to a junior doctor who then would come and review the patient and then escalate potentially to their senior. And you have this series of sequential delays uh, for, for review of potentially critically unwell patients. Um, the MET requires uh, an, uh, a certain criteria being fulfilled, and then once that's fulfilled, the staff on the ward can trigger the system, very similar to the way we have traditional code blue systems. Um, the difference is obviously that the patient has uh, derangements in their vital signs, which are nowhere near as severe as what they are for cardiac arrests. There's obviously a key trial in all of this, isn't there, Daryl, with the uh, with the release of the Merit study a few years ago, and it seems that it's almost like the findings have been taken. Depending on your perspective, whether you're pro met or anti met, you can use the Merit trial to justify your arguments. Yep. Why do you think that the Merit trial was not the trial that we hoped it would be? So the Merit trial was a what's called a cluster randomised control trial. So to the traditionally randomised control trials. Um, randomise an individual patient to a treatment. The problem is that uh, if you randomise a patient to a complex intervention, there's potentially, or the concern is there's contamination that other people will see that nature of that intervention and that similar amounts of intervention to maybe a lesser extent uh, are given to patients who are not randomised to the intervention arm. So a cluster randomised trial involves randomising an entire hospital to a um, to to a, either receive a procedure or not, and in this case, the intervention was obviously a medical emergency team, 
Um, it involved 23 hospitals. 11 were randomised to standard care and 12 were randomised to a MET. It did actually show a reduction in events compared to the control hospital, but it didn't reach statistical significance. And there's been argument in the literature that, that it just wasn't sufficiently powered, that the baseline incidence of the uh, outcome measure was, was not as common as what it thought as the investigators thought it would be, and so they needed a lot more hospitals to show an effect. It was only implemented for a very short period, and so it was only a four-month intervention period, um, and that's through no fault of the, uh, the, the trialists. It's really an expensive trial to run, and it was just due to a limitation of resources. And then the number of patients that the, uh, that the medical emergency team saw was far less than what you would see in a, in a mature medical emergency team in, in big hospitals. So typically mature medical emergency teams will see between 20 to 40 um, met calls per 1,000 admissions, whereas in the um, merit study they only saw something in the order of 6 per 1,000. The other major thing that I would note looking at the merit study is that in the control hospitals where they were supposed to only have ongoing use of a cardiac arrest team, there was an increased use of that cardiac arrest team to review patients who have not suffered a cardiac arrest. And if, you've got, if you have an emergency review that's not a cardiac arrest, then that really is a, a mess. Um, and I think that there was uh, contamination in the control hospitals with increased MET-like activity, uh, which I think um, potentially diluted the effectiveness of the intervention. There's been two meta-analyses now, to my knowledge, that have examined the effect of a MET on various outcomes, and both have shown limited, if no benefit. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Is there enough evidence out there to support the implementation on a pure evidence-based medicine basis? No. So, so the, the, the uh, meta-analyses, I think, did show that there were reductions in cardiac arrests in ward patients, but not for overall um, uh, overall arrests in the entire hospital, and that obviously takes into effect uh, arrests in cardiac uh, coronary care units and intensive care units, and there was no effect on overall mortality and uh, um, and unplanned ICU admissions in, in the meta-analyses. Individual studies have where it's been well implemented and and uh, is being driven by a staunch protagonist, have shown that uh, it has been effective and uh, there may be multiple reasons for that. It may be more reflective of the culture of the hospital to quality improvement initiatives than the actual medical emergency team itself. Um, there's been a couple of studies that show that if you increase the number of met team, uh, medical emergency team patients you see, you get a corresponding reduction in um, cardiac arrest rates suggesting there's some sort of a dose-response effect, but that's not being uh, universally seen um, in all studies and it's only been seen in, in a few studies. I guess the difficulty with assessing, to answer your question about evidence, the difficulty with assessing something as like a medical emergency team uh, intervention or system is that it's not a simple intervention. It's not a quality-assured um, product that's given in the context of a randomised control trial uh, and, and that is, is a relatively standard intervention. It involves probably very um, disparate patient uh, populations. Uh, it involves variable interventions depending on who's in the team and what's done. Um, and it probably depends on the time of day as to who's available uh, to do it. And I suspect that there's variation um, in, in what the team offers each time they come and review 
and, and so and there's probably multiple other factors in the hospital that interact with the system and we're increasingly learning that there's a very large component of end-of-life care issues uh, within met, medical emergency team reviewed patients um, and, and I think that looking purely at um, unexpected deaths uh, is challenging to do in a lot of hospitals that's not always uniformly documented in hospitals. It's interesting. It's still been very avidly taken up across particularly Australasia, hasn't it? Despite a perception of a lack of, of evidence, and I, I know that you said previously that the introduction of the med is driven more by the perception of inadequate ward care than by evidence of efficacy. Yeah. I don't know so much inadequate ward care, Todd. I think that that's strong language. I think that if I was to say why people need met calls, I'd say that there's probably a mismatch between the patient security and what the ward's able to offer. And I think that's very different from saying that the ward care has been inadequate. I think that increasingly we're concentrating patients in our hospitals that are, are complex, have more comorbidities, and what we can offer uh, patients is increasing with time, but to some extent expectations of the public and uh, to a lesser extent the parent unit of the patient is increasing with time. And so, for example, we have day surgical centres and surgical and endoscopy centres. All of the semi-ambulant or ambulant surgical patients are treated there and the ones that are left in the acute care campuses are extremely unwell and they have multiple comorbidities and I suspect that what used to be in a high dependency unit we're currently expecting ward staff um, to, to care for on the ward. Um, and I think that there's just a mismatch between what the skill set and the uh, resources are on the ward and what the wards and what the patient requires. In terms of what the benefits of the MET are then, um, you said that there, there's been limited evidence of a reduction in unexpected deaths. What are the sorts of things that we should be expecting the MET team to achieve? Well, um, definitely cardiac arrests. Uh, we would hope that they would reduce and that's probably the most consistent finding of the studies where it's been positive. To some extent, you might find reductions in... Um, in hospital mortality for um, unexpected deaths, but again, that's not universally found. Um, the, the, the effects on unplanned ICU admissions are quite variable. You might expect that the patients uh, have, uh, that, that a hospital population might have reductions in unplanned ICU admissions, but simultaneously, you might argue that the MET might actually find patients who are deteriorating and the outcome measure should be maybe their Apache score on admission or their length of stay um, after they require admission. So you might not be able to prevent the admission, but you might get the patient to the intensive care earlier and, and thereby reduce the severity of illness and, and their morbidity um, uh, and, and or mortality in association with that admission. Um, there are some things which are difficult to measure, such as support and satisfaction, morale of the staff on the ward. There's been a couple of surveys uh, um, done of nursing staff showing that um, contrary to what people think in terms of de-skilling that it actually upskills them and when you ask what their perceptions are on, on patient outcome and benefits for the patient they're overwhelmingly positive. Now clearly that's very different, staff perceptions are very different to actual uh, hard measured outcomes but certainly the staff in hospitals where the, the system's been taken up well report a positive attitude towards the service and, and, and state that they find it supportive of them. 
You also talk about um, the effect on um, end-of-life care planning and those sorts of things for MET. Yeah. So um, initially the MET was put into place because of the mismatch between patient requirements and and the, the, the resources that could be um, delivered to the patient. Increasingly, it's being appreciated that a significant proportion, and approximately a third of, of MET calls in, in cases where it's been studied explicitly, um, in about a third of MET calls there is an issue where the patient uh, has, a, has a limitation of medical therapy or an issue with their end-of-life care. And um, certainly there's a, a significant proportion of MET calls where the implementation of the MET involves uh, and putting into place a limitation of medical therapy after the MET review. I just want to return to the concept that you raised a little earlier, Daryl. I know in a recent review in the New England Journal you raised the concept of yep. dose. So um, with lots of medical therapies, if you give more of a drug, for example, or more of a, a therapy, you tend to get a, a bigger response to that therapy. And there's been um, a, a, an argument in the past by people like Davida that one of the reasons why hospitals that have implemented a MET but not shown a response is because they simply don't review enough calls. If you think that a, an adverse event, event rate in your hospital is somewhere in the order of 5 to 10%, then it's not reasonable or biologically plausible to think that your MET might have an effect. If you're only reviewing one, maybe 2% of the population, you're simply not seeing enough calls uh, are not, not enough patients to, to achieve an effect. Um, and certainly the, one of the things that has been found in hospitals where there has been a consistent... Uh, um, where there has been a reduction or an improvement in outcome, um, those hospitals seem to have a, a dose, which is typically quoted in the number of MET calls per 1,000 admissions. Um, the dose tends to be greater than about 25 per 1,000 admissions. Um, which, which equates to about two and a half percent of hospital admissions. So, I guess the um, the interesting uh, follow-on from that is then, if you can increase your dosing, can you expect a, a beneficial effect for your organisation? So, there's there's been a couple of studies that have shown that that if you increase the amount of calls that you see, um, then you can have a reduction in events. There have been others that suggest that if, if that's your if that's the only institution's response to deteriorating patients, then potentially that's not a beneficial thing because you need to wait until the patient's deteriorated to quite a significant extent before they're able to be eligible, for want of a better word, to be reviewed um, in the context of that deterioration, if that makes sense. So some people have argued that a high dose is actually reflective of a poor institutional commitment to other strategies to prevent and manage deteriorating patients. Um, and certainly, although that's been... Uh, although we have written that editorial, I think that it's still open to debate as to uh, what the meaning of a high MET dose is. In practical terms, how do you increase the dose? Is it about setting the criteria so that they're a, a more sensitive but less specific or is there other ways of doing that? So that, that's definitely one strategy and, and Max Bell, um, I think it was in Sweden, uh, did a study whereby they looked at the number of patients that they would review um, and uh, they looked at setting different thresholds and um, 
lower they sick the thresholds, they they saw more and more patients, and so that's one way of doing it. Um, there have been a number of investigators that have looked at the incidents with which patients fulfil met criteria, and that they have found that uh, there are a lot of patients who actually fulfil met criteria, but never actually get a call. Um, and so one of the ways you can increase dose is by actually increasing the uh, frequency with which patients who fulfil criteria actually get a call. And, and I guess the way that that's done is through, through repeated education and in-servicing and feedback uh, in situations where the patients fulfilled criteria but not necessarily uh, received a call. In terms of the activation, there's there's obviously the MET criteria, which I assume are, are derived from population studies on patients who have deteriorated on the wards. That there's some newer tools, aren't there, such as uh, the um, early warning tools. So I was wondering if you could describe some of the effects of those. Sure. So um, unfortunately, the the criteria are not based on population studies and. There, there's been a recent study that's being done in, in conjunction with the Australian Commission for Quality and Safety in Healthcare that actually shows that the thresholds for calling criteria between Australian hospitals actually varies quite widely. And there's no real rationale for that. The only real validated uh, calling criteria is probably respiratory rate. And there's uh, some literature that suggests that once that gets above 28, for example, that... Um, that starts leading to increased levels of um, mortality, uh, which is of concern because a, a few MET criteria are set significantly above that. There are some that are set at 36, for example, uh, which probably is a little bit uh, too late uh, to be calling for assistance. But the other criteria, uh, Todd, really haven't been that validated. I know that there is some work looking at the... Um, uh, receiver operating curves, for example, for medical um, early warning scores, um, but they are, are variable in their sensitivity and specificity for predicting deterioration. Um, so in Australia, most uh, calling criteria are based on a single um, calling criteria so that you only have to um, fulfil derangements in one of those criteria in order to get a review. Certainly, particularly in the United Kingdom, but in some places of Australia, there are what are called scoring systems, whereby the nurse will take a set of vital signs and then um, categorise the severity of them on a scale from zero to two or three, typically, and then add up that score, and the total score will dictate the response of, of the ward staff to that uh, degree of patient deterioration. Um, my concern about those uh, systems is that there are errors in, in adding up and they might have barriers to, uh, to activation and delays in review. Um, and I know that proponents who are originally uh, strongly advocating MUSE have recently come out, I think it was in intensive care medicine, and suggested that they uh, also have not been um, entirely validated in terms of their... Um, ability to predict subsequent deterioration in terms of a discriminating ability. One of the frustrations for people who are involved with MET is the perception of a higher involvement required in, in looking after patients who wouldn't traditionally be looked after in an intensive care unit. We certainly are seeing uh, the ICU metastasis, as it were, um, in the form of critical care outreach teams 
the concept of a hospitalist um, and some other things like uh, one that you've suggested, the post-operative surveillance team? So I, I think that um, it's not feasible for ICU to look after all of these patients in the detail and um, to the, to, with the fidelity and, and attention to detail that we provide for patients that are in the four walls of the ICU. And similarly, it's not feasible to have, you know, 50 or 100 bed ICUs in every teaching hospital in Australia. A, it's prohibitively expensive. Um, B, there just aren't sufficient nursing staff uh, and and it will potentially de-skill all staff on the ward and, and it will be a self-fulfilling, uh, a self-perpetuating cycle. So I actually think we need to start from the bottom up and that we need to, and I think the consensus statement, the Australian Commission for Quality and Safety in Healthcare consensus statement, is a very good start. I think that we need to look at deteriorating patients in the broader sense. I think we need to get smarter in predicting who are the patients at risk of deterioration so we can better target strategies to try and prevent deterioration in the first instance. And I think we need to improve the awareness and education of junior staff on the wards about deterioration, and that's certainly something we're doing in our hospital. Um, and things like uh, Image and Mitchell's um, uh, Compass program in Canberra, and I think Theresa Jakes has developed ADAPT in New South Wales, um, simulation-type programs that help junior doctors look at uh, the earlier phases of um, patient deterioration so that we can prevent met calls from ever occurring in the first instance. I think that we need to get a bit smarter with the way we do vital sign assessment and, um, and, and how we respond to the earlier phases of deterioration for vital signs and we need to be more reproducible, particularly with respiratory rate in how we measure and act on abnormal respiratory rates. Um, so they would be the, the major things from the bottom up that affect all junior doctors, specifically in terms of hospitalists. Um, so in America, there's a, a very large number of staff that actually work full-time in hospitals, and uh, that seems attractive in the first instance. But again, it involves people who are typically at a consultant level uh, of experience, unless you have um, career medical officers uh, in hospitals. And I know that in the United States they're experiencing relative shortfalls of, of those type of staff as well. And so each model potentially has its own strengths and limitations. Um, POST it was a pilot study that we did at the Austin. Uh, it stands for post-operative surveillance team. And it basically was a very intensive uh, intervention at, uh, directed at surgical um, patients that were perceived to be high risk based on a number of inclusion criteria and involved the medical co-management, similar to the traditional orthogeriatrics model of care with orthopaedic patients, but these were patients undergoing major laparotomies for major bowel resection or hemihepatectomy or Whipple's procedures, you know, partial or complete pancreatectomies. Um, and the basis of, behind that is that high-risk surgical patients, when they deteriorate, often don't deteriorate because the wound fell apart or because the anastomosis fell apart, but more likely they, they get into trouble because they develop pulmonary sepsis or rapid atrial fibrillation or fluid overload or acute renal impairment. So that most of the complications occurring in post-operative surgical patients are really what might be termed medical in nature. One of the problems that... Um uh, people have uh, running MET is the resource that's required and often there needs to be a justification for requiring that. 
increased level of resources. And it occurs to me that we have a problem in in measuring the efficacy on a local level. And I was just wondering, in terms of um, data collection, how would you proceed in that regard? Um, so just to sort of speak to that again, um, the Commission has sponsored a, a study recently looking at that, at the change in call rates and the crude in hospital mortality of patients subject to, um, to MET review, and that showed quite a substantial increase in call rates with time. So this is for one of a better one of a better term a growth industry. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure. But as you point out, with time, this can become quite a significant impost. One of the things that's becoming very apparent is that um, if a patient receives a met call, it's actually extremely predictive of subsequent increased um, uh, in hospital mortality. So previous studies have shown that the mortality range of a patient subject to MET review varies between 15 to 25% is somewhere in that order. And certainly in the, uh, the study sponsored by the Commission, which had, I think, almost 100,000 MET calls, the mortality of those patients was about 23%. So these patients we're seeing with increasing frequency, um, and, and they are very sick. They have a very um, high in-hospital mortality. Um, significant proportion of that mortality is attributable to um, concurrent or overlapping limitations of medical therapy and end-of-life care planning. But even when you take that away, the patients who have no limitation of medical therapy at the time of their um, med call, they still experience an in-hospital mortality somewhere in the range of about 8 to 15, even 20%. So... Um, if you're looking at resourcing, this is a small, relatively small percentage of the population, maybe 2 to 5% of the population, which are very, very highly at risk. And their mortality um, is similar to or exceeds that of intensive care, patients admitted to the intensive care. And so that's one way I think you can argue for resources. Certainly the, the number of calls that you see in a given calendar year um, the experience almost universally is that it tends to go up with time and now really people are looking at strategies to prevent METs occurring in the first instance because of, because of the high mortality and the increasing numbers being seen. Um, uh, if you also, other data you might want to collect is um, the number of repeat MET calls. So that's patients who experience more than one MET call during their hospital admission. Um, and uh, so they're really the major ones. And I guess the outcomes of the MET review, whether the patient stays on the ward, um, requires an escalation of therapy into a critical care type environment, and then ultimately what their in-hospital mortality is. Daryl, if a hospital was to implement a, uh, a MET service and they were starting afresh, do you have any advice for them in on how to go about setting it up? Yep. So... Um, I think they need to decide whether that's the right model for them or whether they can find alternative models and it would depend on the resources that they've got at their disposal, um, how frequent these events occur uh, and, and what the nature of those events occur. Uh, I would suggest uh, if you are starting off a MET in a new hospital, I would actually suggest a staged implementation. I would suggest uh, implementing it first in an area that experiences a high level of adverse events, um, so potentially you can get the most benefit for your investment. 
And so I think it's useful doing baseline data collection, and it's useful for multiple reasons. One, it, it gives the uh, executive and the clinicians and, and the bedside nurses um, objective evidence as to how frequently the, the, uh, the undesirable adverse events are occurring, and it gives you an idea of, of how frequently you're going to be needing to review patients if the system was operating at the maximum capacity. Um, often uh, staff like to have um, sentinel cases that they, as, a, as sort of a case report, and, and often they unfortunately drive change that there's been a sentinel event uh, in, in the institution with an undesirable outcome. Um, I think you need to agree on who's going to be in the team and what your calling criteria are going to be. And I think one of the most important things is to obtain executive support. That, that's how I think uh, you, you would start out by preparing for it. Um, you need to agree on what the terms of reference and lines of communication and lines of reporting of the staff members actually within the MET uh, should be and, and under what conditions they need to actually escalate care. Um, and you always need to emphasise the importance of uh, never criticising ward staff for either calling the call or their management beforehand because fear of criticism is, is certainly a barrier uh, to ward staff calling for, for the MET. Um, and th so they're really the major things that you need to do beforehand. One of the uh, key things, I think, uh, about having a successful service is that you need to continue auditing the, uh, the service after it's been implemented um, so that you can assess for where it needs to be improved upon uh, subsequently. Daryl, thanks very much for your time today. It's been uh, very uh, illustrative of the process of MET. Thank you again. My pleasure, Todd. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not check out our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse? Our websites are leading providers of online critical care education and include podcasts, journal clubs, online presentations, modules, and much, much more. You can also join our free blog to help you stay up to date. Our websites are found at www.crit-iq.com and www.crit-nurse.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or visit us at the iTunes store. While you're there, check out our data interpretation and CT interpretation apps. Critique, making critical care education easier.